Let's talk about distance and connection. Uh, if you're married, this applies directly to your marriage. If you're not married, this applies to your friendships. This applies to your siblings. This applies to any relationship that you have. I've noticed that it seems to me like, um, hey, we can turn on those lights too. In film, that's called a hair light. You know why, right? Because it shows off my lack of hair. <laughs> Literally yesterday at the wedding, like two young men said offensive things to me. One of them said, you should really use that stuff so you can grow back your hair. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. And then another one was like, you got some gray in your beard. Why don't you color that? And I was like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That is a heck of a thing for you to say to me. Okay. Anyway, uh, Carrie and I, next slide, we dated at a distance. Um, we, she was at one college, that's, if you don't know, that's a Google map of the distance between our, our colleges, basically. So we started dating when we were in India, and um, no, we didn't. We fell in love in India, and I was a, I was a butthead. Uh, I did a lot of yeah buts to everyone's good ideas. That's a butthead, someone who says, yeah, but, to all sorts of good ideas that people have for them. And uh, you should date that Carrie girl when you come home. Yeah, but Jesus needs my full attention. Did you ever consider that Jesus wants you happy? Nope. Uh, I've never had a good relationship with a girl that didn't end in sin, so how about we just stay away from females? How about that for a plan? I just want to serve Jesus. And uh, you, sound, you sound like you want to serve Jesus, but you're really just scared, aren't you? You got me. Anyway, so I eventually began a relationship with this beautiful young lady, and we dated at a distance. On the first date, we talked about how many kids we wanted to have. <laughs> Legit, that happened. Uh, I gathered myself. We were sitting there with pizza, and I went and left for a moment and gathered myself in the restroom and said, help me do this thing, Holy Spirit, and then sat back down and said, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be here if... I didn't think you were marriage material. Yeah, it was our, it was our interview for hiring. <laughs> like, we skipped the whole how you doing, and then like, actually, um, how many kids do you want? I want three. Well, I want five. Now we got six. Winning. <laughs> Boom. We even named them. We were crossing a bridge when we were discussing names. I remember crossing a bridge and discussing names. We didn't pick, none of those names we picked when we were dating lasted. Like Josiah, remember that one? That was a name we did not use. We already knew. We, we were together every day in India on the same mission team for, for three months. And before that, we were in a house in Columbus doing discipleship training for three other months. So it's not like we were strangers. Okay, so that's fair, having said that. So I said to Carrie, give me two years to grow up and then we can do this thing. I, no, that's what I said. Isn't those, aren't those my exact words? Give me two years to grow up. How old was I? Like 20 or something when I said that to you? 19 or 20, right? I said, give me two years. That's reasonable. Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, so we dated at a distance. It was only about two and a half hours, maybe a little under three hours for, to get there. And every weekend, it seemed like one of us made the drive. And we would stay constantly awake late into the night on AOL, instant messenger. Some of you are old enough to know about that. I remember to crank phones and no, uh, we did have calling cards and, and you know, you'd use up all your minutes and you'd be like, you still there? We're about to get cut off. I have no money. Love you. Bye. We'd waste our money, like not communicating. 
you know, we'd be silently on the phone, just running out of things to say because we didn't have, we're, our lives aren't that interesting. What is there to talk about after six hours doing that every day? So, but here's the thing. Here's my point. Even though we were at a distance, we were really intimate and sex wasn't involved. Now that we're married, sex is involved, but oftentimes we're not as intimate as we were back then. Isn't that weird? Distance physically does not mean distance emotionally, and presence physically does not equate to intimacy. So I want to kind of talk about uh, distance and connection. Every relationship is supposed to be about connection. But marriage is obviously the, the deepest. Those of you who were at the wedding yesterday, this is the expanded version of the five-minute talk. You're like, I feel like this is familiar. You're so sneaky, Brian. You caught it. You were laughing at my head? I have glitter on my head? Why do I ask people stuff? They say that I have glitter on my head. Here, I thought we were having a substantive conversation about Jesus. How did I get glitter on me? There's glitter on everything in my house. There's glitter on the pacifier, glitter on the cat. Can we focus, please? I'm already ADHD without all this. The baseline of any healthy relationship, like look look at the foundation of your relationship with God. While you were a sinner, he picked you. He didn't say, now get yourself cleaned up and then I'll love you. This song that like I grew up thinking this is when I got saved at 19 I remember I discovered this hymn and I was like this hymn is so full of truth this hymn blows my mind this is one of the deepest things I've ever heard and we printed the lyrics and put it on my fridge and then my friend Sam came over and he grew up Baptist and he laughed at me and said you actually think that song is meaningful just as I am without one plea but that your blood was shed for me. And that you bid me come to thee, just as I am. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am. Like, the hallmark of this relationship with God is, he loves you. He doesn't love you because you keep him loving you. He doesn't love you because if you'll do your part of the relationship, he'll do his. No, he's committed to doing his part of the relationship. Romans 5 says that when just the right time, at just the right time, while we were sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Because the foundation of any healthy relationship is you get to be you. And I get to be me. And we get to enjoy each other. Now, if you get to connection with Jesus, it'll change you. In fact, just saying yes to Jesus initially, Paul says, transforms you from a sinner who's an enemy of God and has an innate addiction to sin. In one moment, just the saying yes, he comes in and lives in you. And you become a saint with an innate desire to do what's right. All at once. Now, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. He did that. But here's what I'm trying to say. The foundation of any healthy relationship is that you get to be you, and I get to be me, and we get to enjoy each other. The, anything that erodes that, anything that says, I'm here to change you, anything that says, I'm here to control you, anything that says, I'm here to fix you, 
is eroding the very foundation of any healthy relationship. When you do that, you introduce pain, you introduce fear, you introduce manipulation, you introduce distrust, you introduce strange things into the relationship that kill intimacy. I get to be me. I think that was supposed to be on the screen, my bad. I got to stay on the horn here. Sorry, Keith. I get to be me. I, I, uh, no, I skipped that part. Oh, I guess I should make that point, shouldn't I? You're doing great. I'm not so much. <sighs> the hallmark of intimacy is you get to see into me. If I, don't get, if I don't let you see into me, we don't have intimacy. There you go. Next slide. Boom. Point made. Winning. Let's talk about some common, common lies that people bring into, every, in, bring into relationships. I can't say they bring into every relationship because healthy people really perfectly healthy people, and let's be honest, I'm not perfectly healthy, are you? Life teaches us things. Our parents teach us things. Our siblings teach us things. Every situation we're in for long enough teaches us things, and we learn how to survive. We learn how to manage ourselves to be okay in this little system, this little relationship uh, ecosystem. Tools. And a lot of those tools are warped and not kingdom. Let's talk about a few of them. See if you can find any common lies that show up in relationships. Here's one. Anger makes me powerful. Now, when these lies show up, it's not on the fun, happy days when things are going well. It's not on the days when it's a celebration. It's not on the days when it's I like you and you like me and high five to us. It's on the days where you're feeling powerless. It's on the days where you're feeling scared. It's on the days where you're feeling threatened that these things come popping out of you and you find yourself behaving like your dad or your mom, or your boss, or whoever it is that you're like, man, I can't stand that. And then it's there. You're like, I, 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 this, this doesn't, I don't even want to be this way. How, where did this come from? Well, it's called autopilot. You learned that skill. You didn't learn it from a book. You learned it from life. <clears throat> anger makes me powerful. So when you scare me, I puff myself up with anger to make you stop hurting me, to make you stop scaring me. I've just my, it's an unhealthy way of drawing a boundary. <clears throat> Next one. It's my job to make you happy. So if you're not happy, I'm somehow failing. Wow, that's a major big lie. Next one. My feelings don't matter. Yours do. Can I tell on you guys real quick, uh, Rusty and Linda, the egg story? Was it the egg? What was it that you asked? You, you were at a marriage seminar and... and Linda has no problem asking Rusty to do things for her. Rusty has a hard time asking Linda to do things for him because it would be an inconvenience. Can you see that on there? That's an area for growth. Does that mean? I feel like that's not my right to tell on other people's issues. That's not that bad of an issue. You guys are pretty amazing, to be honest, so it's not that bad of an issue. And that can be flipped, too. Your feelings don't matter, but mine do. And I come from a crazy household. You come from a stable family. I'm the one with the real issues here. We have to figure this out or whatever. Mm, All right, next one. If you don't let this one so big, I bump into this one in my line of work. If you don't let me control you, you don't love me. Or if you don't let me control you, I can't trust you. You finding any points of connection to your lives? 
or you terrify me, I need you to start agreeing with me. Disagreement terrifies me. The only way I can trust you is if I see enough of me in you that I know what you're about to do. If I don't see enough of me inside of you, then I don't know what you're going to do next. So I need you to help. I need you to let me love you well. I need you to be like Jesus and let me change you into my own image. Wait a minute. All sorts of forms of, if you don't let me control you, you don't love me. How about this one? Emotions will betray me so I can't let others see them. Or maybe that's another way of saying, in the past, if I let somebody in, I regretted it. So now to keep safe, I keep hidden. And hiding can look like a lot of things. Or how about this one? (laughs) This one's really fun. I shouldn't have to tell you what I'm feeling because if you really loved me, you'd already know. Let's just all agree that that is absolute garbage, all right? No one knows what's going on inside of you except you and sometimes not even you. Which, when you corner me and ask me how I'm feeling, I literally don't know. I'm not being evasive. Earlier I was sad. Now I'm thrilled. Who knows? I don't know. Back off. Just want to play video games. That was a joke. Everyone calm down. How about this one? Oh, man, I actually relate to this one. This one I relate to big time. How you feel about me, babe. It's how I should feel about me. I mean, I sometimes have a hard time praying if she's mad at me. That's not healthy, guys. You know, I'm, I, I'm in the middle of a book and this guy said, oh boy, this, is, this involves a cuss word, so I'm going to edit out the cuss word, okay? This counselor said to, to, he said, over the years, I have often told women, if you can get him to call you a bleep, you're on the right track. And I've often said to leaders, if no one's trying to hijack what you're doing, you probably aren't leading. You probably don't have integrity yet. If no one's calling you names and saying you don't love us, you're probably not, you probably aren't actually leading. In other words, if somebody gets healthy in the relationship, it will disrupt the unhealthy system. And the other person will attempt to sabotage it. So someone calling you a bleep doesn't mean you don't love them and you don't have integrity. It might be the evidence you're on the right track, depending on the issues. How you feel about me is how I should feel about me. It's a lie. How about this one? If, if I can't keep you pleased with me, then you will find someone else who will make you pleased. Translation. Here's the lie. Let me summarize it. I'm responsible for your part of the relationship. This is the lie that I see on Facebook with, well, just be grateful his cowboy boots are under your bed, sister. (laughs) Are you an idiot? What are you doing to her? Just be grateful. Just, you need to cook for him and maybe give him more sex. Or maybe they need to work on the health of their actual relationship. All right. 
See, because I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my part of the relationship and you're responsible for your part of the relationship. That's the truth. And I get to be me and you get to be you and we get to enjoy each other and anything that erodes that is introducing ungodly stuff into the, into the relationship. Uh, I recently, next slide, I was recently watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's a great movie. Such a great movie. I like the first one too. Which one is better? I think the father theme in the second one is so universal. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. If you don't know what we're talking about, I apologize, kind of, I guess. It doesn't matter to the point that I'm about to make. Rocket, who actually is like a person and speaks with human voice and does not like to be called a dog or a, or a, a, a rodent or a, or a raccoon, because in his mind, he's a person, even though he was made in a test tube. He's having a bad day. He's upset. He feels miserable. And as a result of him feeling miserable, he's just mean. He's just mean to everyone. And finally, at, after Quill has just had it with, with Rocket being mean, Quill turns to him and says, what is your goal here? It's a brilliant moment in this film. I'm watching the film and I'm going, ooh, this feels close to home. What is your goal here? Are you trying to get everyone to hate you? Because it's working. And then he turns and walks to let Rocket stew in that truth. Because that's what that was. That was a moment of confrontation. He was letting Rocket know how his behavior was impacting him. Yeah, everyone. That's, that's just healthy confrontation. What is your goal here? And I thought, man, that is such a deep truth. Simple moment, deep truth. Here's why. In these hard interactions where I'm scared and, and these tools that I learned from fallen world are coming out of me, if, if I could videotape that, ugh, who would want to? And, have to? and be forced to watch back later my conflict scenarios. Of course, sometimes I'm like, say that to my, sp- to my, my spouse, my wife. I'll say, if we watched the video, you'd see that you're upset and blah, 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 and you're just being mean, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, everyone would be exposed if we watched the film in the cool light of reason and distance, wouldn't we? Because there's usually two goals in the midst of one of those moments. Your goal is either connection or distance. And you say, what kind of crazy person in a relationship has distance as a goal? Lots of us do, lots of the time. As long as you scare me, I want you over there till I can control you or manage you or please you, or whatever it is. Once I've, created, once I've been able to achieve some resolution of these various lies I'm serving in the midst of this thing, then I'll invite you back into connection. But that's super unhealthy. If someone said, watch the video of your most recent fight and ask the question, is your goal connection or distance, you would, you would immediately know. Yeah, I was I was puffing up or I was hiding in the turtle shell or I was just quickly pleasing or whatever it was to bypass real health. But if your goal is connection, then there are certain skills you have to learn that you maybe didn't learn from life, that you maybe didn't learn from your parents, that you maybe didn't learn from your culture. Skills like uh, the next, next screen. Then you have to push the button. I think I might have put a little animation in there. Ooh, snazzy. Vulnerability. If you value connection, if connection is a genuine intention, then you have to learn the skill of vulnerability. 
Because your default might be attack. Your default might be to tell the other person what they're doing. Your default might be to tell the other person what they're like. Your default might be to tell the other person how they always blah, 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 blah. Or they never, by the way, always and never are your clues that you're totally on crack. If you use language like always and never, it means you don't mind being a liar because you're that upset. Can you, ima- can you imagine a person who always does something? That would mean they don't sleep at night because they're too busy doing that. You never blah, 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 blah. There's not one time in the whole relationship that they ever listened? Really? Then you're a liar. And if you're comfortable being a liar, use that kind of language. But if you want health in your relationship and you value connection, you'd better learn to stop attacking and telling them about them. Again, you don't get to tell them about them. You get to tell them about you. You get to be vulnerable. You get to do what... They can't know what's inside you unless you show them. And you can't know what's inside them unless they show you. And you presuming to know what's inside them, the Bible has a word for that. It's called judging. And, and why would we do that? Because we're hurt and afraid. I'm hurt and I'm afraid. But why don't you just say you're hurt and afraid? That's called vulnerability. I'm hurt and I'm afraid. Because you haven't learned the skill of even recognizing what you're feeling. You're reacting. You touch me there, it's a wound. (laughs) Why did I do that? Oh no, it's a reaction. Yes, that's right. It's a reaction. And if you have a big wound right here and you're walking down the hall and 15 people bump into you in that spot, you're probably going to tell me a story about how everybody's out to hurt you. And yet, not one of those people did it on purpose and none of those people understood that there's a wound. And you might not even understand that they're not telling you about their intention to hurt you. Something that's broken in you and needs healing is being exposed. But vulnerability is a skill we must learn. You don't know what's inside me until I tell you and I don't know what's inside you until you tell me. That's called vulnerability. And it's an essential tool if you want connection as your goal, not distance. Second skill, I guess I'll call it understanding, but it's understanding instead of winning the argument. Uh, Okay, maybe I'll put it this way. Um, If the goal of both of you is to understand the other person better so that you can take care of their heart, first off, that is the goal of the relationship. If your goal is not to take good care of each other's hearts, I don't know what it is. What is your goal then? I'm confused. You know, the doughy-eyed teenage love thing, which is like, I like you because I like how you liking me makes me feel. That's not love. That's just infatuation. Jesus said even pagans do that to, to people. Pagans love those who love them. Christians love those who don't. That's, that's a major difference. You don't, really, you, don't really know, you don't really know what love is if you don't know how to love someone who you don't like. Like, first, like, you know how much you bump into this stuff? Like, let's say we had small group ministry. And people are like, we don't want to let them into our small group. They'll ruin the closeness we've developed over 17 years of being a clique. So basically, you're pagan, is what you're saying. 
but they're not even in the same season of life. You're pagan is what you're saying, but they're not even the same race. So you're pagan. But they're not even in the same socioeconomic level as us. So you're pagan. In Christian community, you love people who are very unlike you in all kinds of ways. And in Christian marriage, it's not about getting you to be like me. It's about learning to be intimate with someone who's completely unlike me without needing to change them. So I'm trying to understand you better, not defend against your argument and not win an argument. If you're still trying to win an argument, your goal's distance, not connection. Now I know in the flesh, in the world, this is how our culture is, we're trying to achieve connection through what? Assimilation. Remember the Borg? No, none of you know the Borg. I'm, a, I'm a sort of a geek. Uh, Star Trek, there were the Borg. It was like this robotic alien race that flew in a big old cube and, and they, would, they would attack a civilization and they would grab them and they would make them into Borg. And that was their way of achieving connection and unity in the universe. You have to become me. You will all be assimilated. And if you're still trying to win an argument then you think that unity is achieved through me getting you to agree with me. But if, if God's love is the model, then unity is achieved through you and me embracing without the need to agree first. Without the need to agree later. Although we have to agree on one thing, that we're here to take good care of each other's hearts. I talked a lot longer on that one point than I meant to. Next one, responsibility. This is so big. Uh, Oh, man, I don't know if I can define this one really well. Oh, help me, Jesus. If someone is depressed and unhappy and they never take responsibility for themselves, then they will blame their parents, they will blame their job, they will blame their spouse, they will blame their children, they will blame their church, they will blame the government, they will blame everything. And if they have half a brain, they'll be able to find lots of evidence to support those theories. Because humans are really, really good at rationalizing what our hearts are set on. We're, really, we're pretty slick, pretty smart people. We're pretty good at selling our own lies to ourselves. But if you're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't even take responsibility for the fact that in and of themselves, without you in the picture, they're miserable and lonely and afraid... Oh man, if you're dating someone like that, will you run and hide? Just run, just get out now, run. Because once you make the promise, it's, it's, it's for life. To be married to someone who won't take responsibility for themselves is not going to be fun for you. We can change. It's really difficult sometimes to change. Carrie came to me recently. I'm pretty sure I already told you all this story. And she said... I'm sick and tired of this stuff. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you're sad every day. I said, no, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Plus, look what happened. And I listed all the things that have happened in our corporate life and in my life in the past year or two that were really, really big losses. And I said, I'm not depressed. I'm grieving. There's a difference. And she said, well, if you're grieving, maybe you ought to should get on with the grieving and then get back to living. But you're stuck and I need you. I need you I need you functional. You're sad every day and it's not okay with me. So I took my vitamin D. I ran my two miles a day, which is more up to three and a half, four now. And not every day because that's too hard on my hips. So I 
not, I'm not 22 anymore, so my knees and my hips need some more care. That's not the point. The point is, she gave me some feedback, and I had to take responsibility for that and figure out what I'm going to do. Because I could just stand there and argue with her and say, yeah, but look how I am. Look what I'm not doing. I'm not, I'm not addicted to anything. I'm not, you know, doing this, that, or the other. She said, but are you really, are you really doing everything you could? I said, I'm doing everything I could. And she said, but are you really? So the very next day, I put my running shoes on, and I've, and I've let's see, I was 215 pounds, and I'm at 182.5.5. And I didn't do it to lose weight. I did it to try to take responsibility for my emotional health. Because you know what? The body cannot live without the mind, and the mind can't live without the body. I mean, it can, you know, but that's not how God intended these things affect each other, spirit, soul, and body. And if you're not taking care of your body, you're not taking care of your emotions eventually. You're not taking care of your spirit, you're not taking care of your emotions yourself. Taking responsibility for yourself means, look, you don't complete me. I'm not going to burden you with that. You're not my savior. I'm terrified of a marriage where the two people are looking at each other and saying, you complete me. I said this in a different sermon already, didn't I? Last week. Is there an echo? I, I, if you can have two people who genuinely take responsibility for themselves, then you can have two people who are thriving even if the other person isn't. I've seen one person thrive, be on fire for Jesus and healthy while the other person was in the pit of despair and it wasn't because the person who was in victory didn't care. It was because the person who was in victory was stewarding their heart well. Of course, I heard that person be slandered for that too, which is like, well, that makes sense. People don't understand. Responsibility. And the final one is validation. Validation is, if you have this need for agreement, then you're going to have to agree before you validate someone's, someone's heart. And here's the problem, is if I'm getting vulnerable with you and you respond, I'm, if I'm getting vulnerable with you, that, that by definition, well, let's back up. It's possible to have a lot of words and no intimacy. How you doing? Good. Did you see that game the other night? Yes. You know, the weather's going to be such and such tomorrow. Yes. Or if, or if you're married, you, we need to pick up so-and-so from practice at such and such a time. Yes. What's for supper? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, can you take the trash out? da 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 da, da. Like, none of that is intimacy. That's, commu- that's communication, but none of that is intimacy because none of that's vulnerability because none of that's heart communication. That's all head communication. It's just information. Some people journal that stuff. Why? No one's going to care when you're dead. Reading your stupid journal about the temperature and what you ate. Help. I don't get it. Anyway, maybe I should steer clear of that. Let's back off and uh, be a little bit less upset about it. But if you respond with your head to someone who's sharing vulnerably what's going on in their heart, something's going to be really jacked up really quick. Man, you know how much I used to try to fix Carrie when she would share things with her heart? Brand new. I'm brand new married. And she'd be like, I'm upset about this, this, and the other. And I'd be all stressed out because I was thinking, it's my job to fix you. It's my job to make you happy. You know, when I'm upset, I try to fix my problems. It took me a long time to figure out that what she wanted from me was for me to validate that your feelings matter to me because you matter to me. And how do I achieve that? By giving her my attention and saying, "Uh uh-huh. That's really all it takes. I didn't have to like say, what you need to do is this, 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 and this. 
You're not listening to me. You're interrupting me. Well, do you want this fixed or do you just want to complain? (laughs) Sir, you know nothing. (laughs) Just if you realize that, you just slap yourself, right? You know, I stink. Figure it out. Validation is not me saying your perspective is true. It's me saying your feelings matter to me because you matter to me. There's a huge difference, difference, isn't there? And if you're a person who has like a Spock outlook on life, that's just like insanity. Why would this person, if they don't let me fix the flaws in their thinking, like why are they even talking? Help, help. That's probably enough for today. Last slide, just me repeating myself. Hallmark of a healthy relationship is I get to be me and you get to be you and both of us get to enjoy each other. Any other baseline is introducing lies, it's introducing manipulation, it's introducing fears and all sorts of jacked up stuff that will not help the Holy Spirit flow in a relationship. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the same people who would be the last people to come to a church service, filled the house and overflowed into the streets to get near Jesus? Why is that, do you think? Maybe it's because in real love, I get to be me, and you get to be you, and we get to enjoy each other. And any change that happens from there happens out of the connection. Not to get the connection. Go ahead and stand. If today's talk triggered something where you're like, I actually really want prayer for this, then at the conclusion of me saying this benediction, please come up and and some people will pray for with you, okay? Let's pray. God, I pray now that in Jesus' name, the things that your Holy Spirit highlighted from this talk, you would sear into our attention that we might camp there until fruit is born. We pray it for your sake and, of course, for our benefit too because your way is better. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, please come up for prayer.